You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. God, how awesome it is to come into your house and to lift our minds and our hearts to the reality of you, Father. How good and how glorious you are. God, you are holy, you are righteous, you are ever-present, all-powerful, loving and righteous and merciful. And God, it list goes on and on. Thank you, Father, for allowing us the privilege to be called your children, for allowing us just the, the, the joy to worship you. This is where our satisfaction is found. This is where our life is found. Thank you for your word, O oh God, which enlightens us to truth, enlightens us to the ways that we should walk in light of your glory and your majesty. God, we pray today simply this, that you protect us from just coming in and hearing a word in one ear and out the other, but instead, O oh God, would you drive this truth, these truths deep into our hearts, Lord, that we might be passionate, impactful followers of Jesus Christ. God, I pray today you protect us from just coming to church and going home without the word of God truly changing us. Change us today, God, from one degree of glory to another through your word. God, we can't do this. We can't manufacture change in my own heart, in our hearts. We can only do it through, through your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, come now. Come and do what only you can in us. That's our heart's desire today, God, to encounter you face to face and leave your change today. Please make it happen, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One more time, I invite you to take a seat and turn from your Bibles to Acts uh, chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, slip your hand up high and an usher will get you one. Uh, take it home, read it. It's our gift to you today if you don't have one at home. But Acts 11, as you turn there, uh, just let me give you a quick highlight from yesterday. We've been praying for a long time as a church that God would get us beyond these four walls and get us out ministering to those in our community. And so yesterday we had uh, our first uh, food truck outreach. It was amazing. Uh, 30 people showed up from our church freezing cold. Well, that doesn't matter, right? Bigger bigger things at stake than just a little bit of cold in our, in our cheeks. And so 30 people showed up and 50 people were physically fed food and spiritually fed the gospel in our city uh, yesterday. So that's awesome. Thanks for all of you who went. But even more than that, there was teams going through the whole uh, area that was happening, sharing Christ and having conversations. It was a really good time. And so for those of you who weren't a part of that, next time be a part of it. This is part of our mission, right? We're doing this not for us, for all of us to be a part of mission together. And uh, let's keep seeking the Lord together and see what God is going to do. But we can't wait. uh, Already there's been fruit to what's happening. Can't we see more? But already there's been fruit to what happened last night. One story out of last night that was shared with uh, Jeremy or someone was uh, uh, a woman um, sharing that she uh, attempted to end her life on Friday night. And uh, the Lord spared her. And then Saturday, she said, as she's hearing the gospel, maybe this is why God spared my life. And so pray for fruitfulness. We had a couple people that were shared with last night in church this morning. And so let's continue to pray for fruitfulness, instant impact as we uh, follow the Lord's leading, which is encouraging. Uh, But Acts 11 is where we are today. Acts chapter 11, the title of the sermon is The Power of Faithfulness. The Power of Faithfulness. Get your mind around this quote for a second. You cannot see faith, but you can see the footprints of the faithful. You can't see faith, but you can see footprints of the faithful, and we, you and I, must leave behind the faithful footprints for others to follow. Sometimes I think we get so caught up in mission on mission that we get everything mixed up, and we think that our primary goal in mission is fruitfulness. Yes, we long for fruitfulness, but what's our primary goal in living for Christ on mission? It's not fruitfulness, it's faithfulness. You have to understand this if you're going to understand fully the mission of Jesus Christ. Success in the Christian life 
is not the one with the highest profile name or not the one with the most accomplished Christian resume or the one that has the longest list of converts or even the one that gives the most to the kingdom of God. Here's the successful Christian life. It's the one that leaves the greatest legacy of faithfulness for those that come after. We must leave behind the faithful footprints for others to follow. And so my aim as a missional follower of Christ is first and foremost faithfulness above all else. It's faithfulness above all else. And the key to lifelong faithfulness, here it is, how well I can stay the course when the winds of opposition and the waves of adversity pummel me and my boat that's headed for glory. That's the key to a faithful life, how well I can navigate the hard things that come. Somehow, again, we've gotten into this mindset that if we're gonna follow Christ, it's gonna be easy. If we're gonna be on mission, it's gonna be great. It, it is gonna be fulfilling, it is gonna be great, but it's also going to be very Difficult. And this is the message of really Acts chapter 11, the first glance of this chapter. Honestly, first glance, I'm like, maybe we'll skip chapter 11 and get to chapter 12. It seems like a filler chapter just to kind of keep the story going in the right direction. But the closer we look at Acts chapter 11, the deeper look we take at Acts 11, the clearer we see the marks of faithfulness all over the church. They live out their mission. So here's what we're going to learn today. We're going to learn about faithfulness. And the early church this morning is going to take us to the school of faithfulness. The bell is ringing. Are you ready to jump into this class of faithfulness? Let's go. There's four marks. There's four marks. There's four footprints of faithfulness that we can learn from today. If we're going to be faithful to the end, if we're going to endure to the very end, here's four footprints of faithfulness that we must also learn to walk in as followers of Jesus Christ. The first one is this. My aim is a missional Christ follower is faithfulness over all else even in the face of harsh criticism. Faithfulness in facing harsh criticism. Here's this truth you have to know this morning. If you're going to follow Jesus for the long haul and be used of him this lifetime, you're going to have to be learned to be faithful in both the highs, the mountaintops, and also the lows, the hard times in life. Let's be honest. Most people follow Christ, and as long as things are going well, we're all in, and it's awesome. But the moment things go a little off course or get difficult, what happens? We jump off the wagon. Here's what we see the early church do. We see the early church not jumping off the wagon, but even in hard times and difficult times, this whole chapter is rooted in difficulty. They're actually pulling more people onto the wagon of salvation headed for glory. And so here's what's happening. Let me read the few, few verses and I'm going to comment. I'm not going to, again, read the whole thing. Acts 11, verse 1. Peter reporting to the church all that happened. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also received the word of God. Remember what happened? Like Peter's preaching, most miraculous thing happened. He learned that the message of Jesus isn't just for the Jews, not just for like us in here. It's for everybody. Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles. And wow, we have like a God-Holy Spirit moment of, of, of salvation. And so this is what he's excited about. Peter still has a head in the clouds, a permagrin on his face from all that's happened. And he can't wait to get back and share this with the people. And, and he, he, guess what happened? God opened up the door, not just for us, for the Gentiles. And, and this is a, God's changed the whole mission program of our church. Will you get on it? Will you get on it? You'd think that they'd be excited, right? You'd think that the church would be like, wow, this is amazing. But yet, when Peter gets to Jerusalem, instead of throwing a party for him, you know what they did? They threw him under the bus. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying this. They criticized him. But he's doing good things, but he's serving Jesus. He's seeing fruit. They criticized him, saying this. You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? Much harsher than it seems there. They were ticked. They were angry, and you're like, but I thought, 
They'd be excited. I thought they'd be excited too, but here's the problem. Here's the problem with the people in Jerusalem. They were all stuck in their prejudice and limited understanding of God's heart and God's mission for the world. They're still thinking inside the religious box. They're still thinking us versus them, especially those of the circumcision party. Like, that's weird. Like, circumcision and party should not be in the same sentence. I agree with you on that. Like, when is circumcision ever a party? Apparently for this group of people, it was. You know why? Because they were all about exteriors. And, and they were all about, like, Jesus. They were all in for, they're believers in the Jerusalem church. They're all in for Jesus. But you know what they're equally all into? All their customs and all the way they do things. And so they're people who are, like, hadn't got past, like, a legalistic mindset of you got to look a certain way, you got to act a certain way. So they love Jesus, just had to get some legalism things figured out. And instead of just being open to what God was doing, they take issue because it's out of their comfort zone and never done this before this way. And, you know, we've experienced some of those things before in church, haven't we? But it's amazing because in their limited view, their narrow understanding, they missed out on all that God was doing. And they're so, they're so caught up in this, like, but they're not circumcised yet, but they're not circumcised yet. How could you, Paul? They can't get their minds around it. So you know what they do? They do what most people do when they get pushed out of their comfort zone or things get rocked in their little world of what they thought, the way they think it should be, the way they think it wanted it to be. So they, start criti- they jump on the criticism train. And they start criticizing Peter. Anyone who's pushed out of their comfort zone starts criticizing usually. And so the, the, the church, the early church, the, the people in Jerusalem, the, the ones that Peter thought were on his side, started expressing disapproval through unscrupulously critiquing one another and looking for fault. So here's where Peter finds himself, like on mission, fired up, big victory. All of a sudden he's in the public eye and like the line of fire from his own. It's the pattern of acts I've told you, like, like God's people pray, God shows up, they have bold witness, and then the people come to Christ, the enemy opposes, great opposition, cause them to pray harder, and then the whole cycle goes around again. And so here's where Peter finds himself. And notice where the stones are coming from. Disciples got quickly and as a church started that outside stones coming over the wall all the time. It's sort of like they had one eye on where they're going and one eye over the wall to see where the stones are coming. But all of a sudden, stones start coming from within. You know it hurts a whole lot more, eh? When someone from outside starts criticizing you and your faith, it's one thing. When someone on the inside starts criticizing your faith, like that becomes hard, doesn't it? Come on, you guys look like you've never experienced criticism before. I know you have. It's hard, isn't it? And yet here's the truth moment. Here's the truth moment that we have to come to grips with if we, as we think about even like living faithfully to the very end. Here's a truth moment. When you set your heart on passionately pursuing Jesus and making a difference, you can expect the exact same thing in your life. I'm not trying to be negative Ned today. I'm just trying to give you the reality of, of the way things are at. Because we set ourselves up with this like, man, I'm going to follow Jesus. It's going to be good. It's going to be awesome. The moment criticism comes, you know what you're going to do? Shrink back and bail out. But if you know it's coming, if you can see it coming, then you can follow in this footprint of faithfulness and ask God to help you get through the times of criticism. Get this, throughout the whole Bible, criticism and Christian are like synonyms. If you're a Christian, living truly for Jesus, you're going to get criticized. It's not a maybe, it will happen. Don't believe me, think Luke chapter 7. John the Baptist came, and what did he do? He wasn't eating or drinking. What did they say about him? This guy's a demon for sure. Criticism. 
Jesus came both eating and drinking, and, and he got the same treatment. He's like, this guy's a glutton. He's a drunkard. He's a friend of sinners and tax collectors. And throughout all of Jesus' ministry, himself and any one of his followers passionately following him was always on the chopping block, chopping block of public opinion. Reality, they didn't teach me in seminary. They taught you a lot of theology. They didn't teach you when you stood up to preach that almost weekly you're going to get criticized in some way, shape, or form. First years of ministry, it almost crushed me. I must be doing something wrong. When in fact, you and I both know that criticism sometimes comes when you're doing everything right, right? Why? Because people don't like to be put out of their comfort zone. And if you're fired up for Jesus, the complacent person in the church will be like, oh, that's got to be wrong because it's pushing me out of my comfort zone. If you're actually living on mission and bringing people into the church that aren't like everybody else, the church is like, this is our little social club, and you know, don't mess this whole thing up, and criticism starts to fly. I felt bad for myself for a few years, and I was like, man, I don't know if I'm really called to ministry. There's so much criticism. It's so hard to take. I, I'm not sure I'm cut out for this. You know, little pit of pity parties we have. And then one day God opened my eyes and be like, you're a goof, Daryl. Like, you... It's not just pastors that endure criticism. It's anyone who wants to live for Jesus Christ purposefully and intentionally. And you start talking to other people in the church, and you, you, you encounter this all the time, those in our church who are living for Christ truly. Go to work, you get criticized because you're doing things right. You, you, where you play, people like you don't talk the way they talk, and you don't use the language you use, and you get criticized, and you're holier than me. And Neighborhoods, and then you come into church, and... Some people just want to come in here and sit here every week and not really be changed by the gospel. And we get that. We pray that it's not going to be forever. So when you start like, wanting to be changed by this and fired up with this, people start criticizing you. There's got to... The Urban Dictionary tells us what, here's what criticism is. It's, I hate to say it, but it's true. It's, it's, oftentimes it's useless people just trying to bring the impactful people down to their level. And so we face it. And yet, as we see this, we realize that it's not if we go through criticism, it's how we handle criticism. It's how we handle criticism. Here's what Peter does. Peter handles it with wisdom, maturity, and the love of Jesus. He, he, he basically walks the, the criticizers through the, the, all that just happened in Acts chapter 10. That's what chapter 11 verses 1 to 18 is really it is. It's really a recap of chapter 10, so I'm not going to read through every verse. But instead of like running from criticism, instead of trying to beat down those who are criticizing him, which is our tendency, right? You criticize me, well, I'm going to become, I'm bringing it harder, I'm going to beat you down. Instead of beating them down, instead of like pushing distance between them, oh, you're going to be critical? Well, then I'm just going to hang with somebody else. You know what he does? He acts with wisdom and maturity. You know what he does? He tries to bring uh, the immature believers through criticism, help them to a deeper understanding of Jesus and help them become more mature in their faith. That's the only way God calls us to respond to criticism. And if we're going to make it through to the end in faithfulness, we have to follow this footprint of faithfulness and how to handle criticism. Here's what Peter does. He basically walks him through the story and says, but guys, but guys, I saw this vision. Cornelius saw this vision. I basically just followed God, showed up, started preaching, and now the Holy Spirit fell and they were saved and baptized. And then he just brings him to the truth of this. He's like, hey, don't, don't stay where you are in your limited understanding of, of God and what he's doing. Verse 17, verse 16. Start at 15, as they began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as he did on us at the beginning. This is real, it's true. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. What's happening here, don't criticize me. 
Look at the truth of what's happening here. It's God fulfilling his promises in verse 17. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And who are you to stand in God's way? That's not rocket science, but it is rocket science for most of us. The Christian goal in life is not to avoid all criticism. If you do that, you're never really going to make an impact for Jesus. The goal in the Christian life is to handle it well and to bring the criticizers to a place as best as you can to a place where they also see and love Jesus Christ with all of their hearts. To take the high road. Too many Christians take the low road when it comes to criticism. We're called to be faithful and take the high road when it comes to criticism. We're going to get it. Unbelievers, nominal Christians, even people who appear to be mature are going to critique us. What do we do? What do we do when we get criticism? Stay the course. What do we do when we get criticism? Stay the course. Love God. Love his word. Seek truth. Seek God's approval. How you handle criticism is a big determinant of whether you're going to be impactful and faithful in this life. We can learn a lot from Peter in the early church. We can walk in his footsteps. There's so much to say about this, the whole sermon. Each of these points could be a whole sermon, so I'm cutting them short, but just ask yourself this. How well do I handle criticism? Do I avoid it at all costs? Am I willing to take it like Jesus and every other disciple who's truly followed him? To be faithful, you need to be ready for it and be ready to engage with it by God's grace and God's strength. Here's number two. Here's the second footprint of faithfulness we can walk in. I strive for faithfulness in seasons of chaos. I strive for faithfulness in seasons of chaos. So often I've seen so many people start the faith so strong, start so strong and passionate about Jesus Christ. As soon as chaos happens, as soon as change happens, as soon as hard happens, gone. False understanding that somehow it's supposed to be good, it's supposed to be easy. Easy street only happens in our imaginations, never happens when we follow Christ. God wants to be faithful even in the seasons of chaos. Look what happens here now. Those who are scattered because of the persecution, so they're being scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. Remember Stephen was stoned in Acts chapter 8? This is Acts chapter, kind of a continuation of Acts chapter 8 verse 4. They travel as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who were coming to Antioch. They spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with him, with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Continuation of Acts 4, what's really happening here is after Stephen was stoned, like that just kind of like, Open both the floodgates for more persecution on the believers, but also open the floodgates for more of what God was going to do through their lives. And so the, the believers were scattered, and God even uses hardships to scatter us to the place He need us, needs us to go, amen? So He scatters them, and they're going to all these different places, and now they find themselves here. The, the, key, the key city here in this text is Antioch. They find themselves in Antioch. This is super important as like Acts 1.8. Remember, they're going to go from Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. This is the beginning of the ends of the earth. This is the first Gentile city to have a church established in it. So even in the midst of chaos and hardships, the faithfulness of God's people led to fruitfulness for the kingdom of God. Think about this. They're being scattered. 
People are coming in and out of their fellowship. They don't know if they're going to be here long, if they're going to be here short, how, what's going to happen. People are being scattered. They're being persecuted. Anytime they speak of Jesus, they're being oppressed and pushed down. And yet the faithfulness of God's people led to the first church, first Gentile church being planted. It tells a couple of things about God. One, he plants his, his churches and in, in, in starts movements in, in, in the book of Acts in big urban cities. We've seen that over and over. Antioch was the third largest city of the, the, the kingdom of that day, only behind Rome and Alexandria. Big church, big, big city where there's lots of unsaved people. Uh, Antioch was known for uh, rich culture, uh, vast commerce, and moral corruption. We think it's bad in today's day and age. You, you, know, you know, it was like in Antioch. Like it was just wide open. Like you go to the park on a Saturday night and you'd be taking your kids going, we should not be at the park on a Saturday night. That's all I'm going to say about that. Just gross perversion. And yet, where does God choose to plant his church? Right in the middle of the darkest, one of the biggest, darkest cities. This is where the first Gentile church was, was established. How? Through God's faithful people. This is seven years after the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2. Seven years it took for the first Gentile church to the, we think it's like succession, like day one, day two, day three, by day five, it's into, the, no, it's seven years of what? God's people being faithful. See how we see the footprints of faithfulness? It's God's people being faithful. Persecution, hardship, they're just being faithful. We don't even know their names. It doesn't tell us who did it. I love that about the faithfulness of God's people. God uses people. He doesn't, he doesn't elevate our names. He uses our faithfulness to elevate his name. So encouraging, you don't have to have a big name to be used by God, you just have to be faithful. But here's the point I want you to make, in the midst of even uncertainty and change, God's people chose to be faithful. I ask myself often, if persecution were to come upon our church in the same way it came upon the early church, how many faithful would still be standing? It's hard enough to go through hard times, and yet... How many faithful would still be standing? We hate chaos, don't we? We hate it when things are uncertain. And isn't that life, though? Life is so uncertain. Life is full of pain and hardship. and It's not just persecution. So many people even here today are going through hard seasons and tempted to be like, well, if I'm going through a hard season, then God must not love me, and so I may as well just jump off this thing and, and go do my own thing because it's not working for me. I'm tempted to think that way too in the flesh, but God's Spirit says that, that our circumstances have no bearing on whether God loves us or is with us or not. What God wants us to do in the hard seasons is to remain faithful. This year, since January 1st, I spent more time at the hospital visiting people, I think, than, than the last four years put together. You know, my message whenever I go is like, don't, don't let this season of chaos take you on a path away from God. Let God draw you near her in this time. Times of chaos, often we see people bailing. Times have changed. Things are changing for the church. In this time, there's always this constant change. We hate change. We want everything the same. Well, I want this church to be the same as it was five and a half years ago. I want it to be the same in five. But yet, as we follow Christ on mission, things change. The seasons of life come. And I've seen so many people following Jesus with all their heart. That what happens? A season of change happens. Well, what happened to so-and-so? Oh, they had a kid. Change, and so Jesus becomes like third or fourth on the totem pole. What happened to so-and-so? They got a new job. They got to focus all their energies on anything but God for the season. Really? What about being faithful in seasons of chaos and change? What happened to so-and-so? Well, the, their role at the church changed, or their small group got mixed up, and so they got a little bent out of shape. And what happened to faithfulness? God wants us to be faithful in chaos and change. Some people thrive in change, but most people crumble with change. In chaos, 
Why does God have this in here? So that we're not those who crumble, but we're those who thrive. Quite honestly, if we're going to be on mission for Jesus, we have to get used to chaos and change. When life seems like chaos, what is our role? To remain faithful. We want calm, but being on mission often takes us into chaos. We want everything to be calm, and so we forego the mission of Jesus for calmness and comfortability, but yet being on mission for Jesus often takes us to the chaos and the uncomfortability. We want calculated. Mission takes us to uncharted waters. We want certainty. Mission often involves uncertainty, but God desires us and empowers us us to consistency and a life of faithfulness no matter what's going on around us. So many believers I've watched as this cycle of like, when things are good, I'm good with God. When things are bad, I'm not. I've been there myself. You? Or you leave me hanging again today. Bearing my soul and you're all like, no, I don't know what he's talking about. Hard comes, we're like chicken little, right? The sky is falling, the sky is falling. We run around and we lose focus and next thing you know, we have no idea what's up and down. Things are good, I'm praising Jesus. Things get hard and I'm like Eeyore. Life's tough. Life stinks, poo. It's not worth living. God's not real. Man, if we're going to be in this for the long haul, if we're going to live a life of faithfulness and leave faithful footprints for those that follow us, it involves leaving faithful footprints in the hardest of seasons. By God's grace, by God's power, by God's strength. Let me ask you this. Are you one who gets all rattled and off track every time something goes wrong or goes amiss in your life? Are you one who stays the faithful path? How do we do this? I, I'm like you, man. My emotions drive me many days, and I can be so fickle. The answer to how we do this is right here in the text. Look with me at verse 21. Look with me at verse 21. How do we do this? And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. We, we have to remember that the hand of the Lord is with us. What's the first thing we do when hard comes? We think that God has abandoned us. God has not abandoned us. God is with us. He promises he'll never lead us, leave us or forsake us. In times of chaos and change, we're tempted to run away. We've got to look up and see the vastness of the God who loves us. Think of how big the hand of God is. You ever shaken someone's hand that has a big mitt? I think of Ken Pluger's. You ever shaken Ken Pluger's hand? You feel like you're three again. You're like, well, I can't even get my hand around that thing. So much more capable than I am to do things with those hands. And you think of the hand of God. You ever put your hand in the hands of God? You get lost in the hand of God. We have to remember that the hand of God is for us and not against us. And we remain in faithfulness. We remain in faithfulness. God's hand carries us and covers us. I propose this to you. If we're going to be faithful the way that God calls us to be faithful, if we're going to leave faithful footprints in the sand for those who follow, we've got to change our whole mindset when it comes to difficult times. We've got to lean in instead of run away. Here's the third, here's the third footprint of faithfulness that the early believers leave us. If I'm going to be faithful, it involves continually pursuing God's best. We just strive in faithfulness and pursuing God's best. Even if things don't go the way I want or church doesn't go the direction I want or people offend me or people discourage me, I need to continue to pursue God's best. It's, it's, when I come to the end of this life, it's, it's not about someone else's faithfulness. Whose faithfulness is about? Mine and God's, me with God. 
Look what it says in verse 23. So all this is happening. There's so many things going on here. It seems all negative at this point. Paul's facing criticism and the church is facing chaos and change. And and the report of this comes to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, verse 22. And so they sent Barnabas. Remember Barnabas? He's he's everyone's best friend, right? He's the encourager. Like, "You you can do it. That's Barnabas. So they sent him to Antioch, the first Gentile church. When he came, he saw the grace of God and he was so glad. He's like, man... Even see his heart here. He's not getting caught up in all the Jewish thinking, right? He's like, hey, God is moving. This is awesome. And so he exhorts them. He exhorts. He calls them to this. He's like, hey, just remain faithful, brothers and sisters, to the Lord with steadfast purpose. That's really the key to this whole passage. You can circle verse 23. You can underline it. You can highlight it, whatever. I think this is the key to the whole passage. Remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Like, hey, I thought you told us before that there, there's no one good, no, not one in Romans. Remember that whole thing? Well, how can this guy be a good man? I remember, the, remember even the, the guy who, the rich young ruler, like, yeah, I'm good. And God's like, there's no one that's good. So how can this be saying he's a good man? He, he's good only because the blood of Jesus Christ has covered him and changed him, clothed him in righteousness. What does it take to be a good person in God's eyes? Faith in Jesus, but also this, being full of the Holy Spirit and faith. being full of the Holy Spirit and faith, everything flows from these two realities in your life. Well, I just want to be faithful and I, I can't do it. Well, you know what you need to aim for more than anything else? To, to be aiming for, to be full of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis and full of faith. God gives you those two things and you are set for the duration no matter what comes at you in life. I even think we get our eyes off of that so quickly, don't we? So easy to look at all the things we should be doing and all the things I want to do and, and all the dreams I have and the goals I have and yet how many of us every day wake up and, and we get on with our day and we forget the most important thing we should be pursuing which is simply this, faithfulness and pursuing to be abiding in Christ, to be full of the Holy Spirit and asking God to give us faith. Man, if we lose that focus, we've lost the battle already and we are going to stumble through life, we are going to fall, we are going to wonder why there's no fruit in our, li- in our lives. It's a good reminder for us that the same person that Barnabas was is who we should be striving to become. Also reminds us here that we can't do this whole faithful thing on our own. Why did God send Barnabas to the church at Antioch? To encourage them, to help them. Individualistic North America, I don't need anybody else. I don't want anyone else. I'm going to go to church every week. I'm going to sit and hear the message, and I'm going to go home and practice this on my own. I don't need anybody else. You honestly will not live a faithful life secluding yourself from the rest of the body of believers. You can easily skip over that part, can't you? That's why we say we're a church not with small groups. We're a church of small groups because we need each other. Proverbs warns us of that. Anyone who's going to be isolate himself is in for trouble. So many of us, we want to be faithful, and, and, and yet we won't let anyone in. To be faithful, we have to let the body of believers in. This is how God created us and, and, and wants us to live, to have people around us to encourage us and spur us on in the things of faithfulness. To give us messages like Barnabas gave the church at Antioch, the first Gentile church. Hey, guys, all you have to focus on remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Just focus on what really matters. Just focus on what really matters. Isn't this, isn't this the challenge of our lives, though? Honestly, isn't this the challenge of our lives, just staying focused on what really matters? 
This, this is the daily battle that we fight to stay fired up for the purposes that God made, made us for. Think of when I was first saved, and I watched many people go through this whole, this whole like, living on purpose. When I was first saved, man, no one had to tell me to live on purpose. You? It just came naturally. Like, you, you just wanted to be all that Christ wanted you to be. You wanted to do all that God wanted you to do. You couldn't get enough of the word. You couldn't get enough of prayer. And, and yet, five years later, is it the same passion as it was when you were first saved, living on purpose for Jesus? Ten years later? Fifteen years later? Twenty years later? Here's the reality that often happens. We get saved, and we think about the, 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 the passion of what used to be. And then it's like being saved, this highlight, and then the rest is like, woo, downhill from there. Actually, that's not the way the Bible talks about salvation. It should be like this, this flame is fired. That flame should get bigger as we get closer to Jesus as we walk this Christian life. Why do we get off track? Because we lose our focus on the purpose of why we're here. Why are we here? Why are you here? So just don't forget the purpose of why you're here. Why are you here? Why are you and I here? First and foremost, we're here to know Jesus Christ and become like Christ. Christ-likeness is pursuing God's best. We can't lose our focus on Christ-likeness. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Uh, 1 John 2.6, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. We ought to strive continually to walk like Jesus walked in his Christ-likeness, humbly in submission, full of the Spirit on mission. Let me ask you this, are you as excited about being like Christ today as you were when you were first saved? You should be. If you are, awesome, keep going. If you're not, this is a good exhortation for you. This is Paul reminding you, hey, don't forget your purpose. It's not even to do all kinds of good things for God and to be this awesome spiritual Christian. It's to become more like Jesus Christ, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Is that on your daily prayer list? anymore. God created me the life of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Is it like, well, I used to aim for those things, but it didn't work and I got tired and I got frustrated, so I just give up. Now I'm just going to like, whatever. Brothers and sisters, don't lose your focus of faithfulness on the things that matter most, becoming like Christ. What else? What else? Worship, walk, work. We talk about them as being the, the, the marks of a true disciple. We can't lose our focus on true discipleship. This is an encouragement, an exhortation to not lose the, the focus on what matters most. Adoring Jesus with my whole being is what worship is. Ascribing worth to God, respect to God, and, and submitting to God. Is your life just as fired up about worship as it was when you were first saved? We're created to worship. Remember that? What are we created for? We're created to worship Jesus. He's, he's not here for us predominantly. We are here for him. The more we know Jesus, the, the more prone we ought to be to like want to worship him. Not put every other music station on the, the, the worship last thing or, or when I'm in a pinch I worship, but a daily worship. A daily can't get to, weekly can't get to, wait to get to church and worship with the body of believers. This is what we're created for. This is why we exist. Don't lose your heart of faithfulness in worship. What about walking with Christ? The personal disciplines of prayer and the word, small groups and being a part of a community that aims for growth and development. Spiritual maturity. Oh, when the church first started, I was all about those things. I thought it would change my life, and then I realized that, man, it's hard. 
It takes work to be in the word of God on a daily basis. Man, praying, I just don't have time. I used to have time for that, but not quite anymore. Small groups, oh, they were so invigorating at first, but now I can realize that maybe I'm not going the direction I should be going as fast as I should be going, so I don't know. That's really awkward now and kind of lost my fervor for that. You can't lose sight of the fact that God calls me faithful in our walk with Christ, which involves our personal disciplines and the body of believers. Again, when we were first saved, no one had to tell us to read the word of God. We couldn't stop devouring it, remember? Praying, that was the most awesome reality ever. I get to pray to God? How much more 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road should those things still be a reality? That's the purpose of what God has us here for. What about working for Christ? Serving the Lord? I just want my life to be used for God and his kingdom. First saved, show me, show me where I can serve in the church. Show me, show me. When we first started our church, people were coming to us asking where they could serve. Where can I serve? Where can I serve? Now it's sometimes chasing people. Not all of you. Some of you are faithfully serving. Some people coming into the church like five and a half years later. It's established. It's going. I can just come and sit here. Eh. Steadfast in purpose means that I want to invest my life and sacrifice for the kingdom of God. And a faithful life leads to a greater intensity in these things, not less. A faithful life leads to a greater intensity in these things, not less. I've watched too many people fizzle in their purpose. I've watched too many people fizzle in their purpose. So fired up, so fired up, and then, then their Christian life is all about what used to be. I used to be like that. Oh, I can't. I remember when. Used to be. Then you run into far too many seniors who like, Say this, I put in my time. Far too many middle-aged people who I, I have no time. Far, many, far too many young people like, I just want to have a good time. Meanwhile, you come into people all across all the ages that just, just want to give all their time to God, knowing it's the best use of our time. Some let me encourage you. Some let me encourage you in this. I see you so faithful in being steadfast in your purpose. I, I see that six years ago we moved here. I didn't know anyone in this room. And I've gotten to know you. It's just been a joy to see how you're steadfast in your purpose. And, and I can see how you've come from six years ago where you were to where you are now. You're, you're doing it and you're faithfully serving the Lord and loving the Lord. And, and even in greater ways than you were when I first met you. That's awesome. It's an encouragement to me. But be encouraged and, and let this stir you up to keep going and keep pursuing those things. But some of you, honestly, this morning, some of you just need to be exhorted today. You need to be exhorted today. That you need to get going again for Jesus Christ. You just stop doing the charade thing and, and putting in your time thing and, and really be all into Jesus, being steadfast in your purpose. The things that you're striving for in this world don't really matter at the end. I'm just telling you the truth. You can have your big house and you can have your nice cars and you can have all your friends and then when you get to the end, the question is going to be, do you know Jesus? And, and the next question is going to be, what would you do with your life in the area of faithfulness? Get this. God doesn't judge you in the number of talents or the number of minas you have according to those two parables. He only requires that you be found, requires that you be found faithful with whatever you've been given. God doesn't judge you on the number of talents you have or minas you have. He only requires that you be found faithful with whatever you've been given. Another preacher said it this way, faithful servants never retire. You can retire from your career, but you will never retire from loving and serving Jesus. Are you steadfast in your purpose? 
if you made the Christian life about a whole lot of other things that aren't even anywhere near where the three pillars, the, the three W's are and the becoming like Jesus Christ. Let this be a reminder and an encouragement to you to get back to what matters most. This is true of all Christians. This stuff is true of all believers in Jesus Christ. Look at the end here of verse 26. Barnabas comes to Tarsus to look for Paul, and they're hanging out, they're, they're doing their thing, and, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. All this stuff here, this faithfulness, is, is going to give you the label Christian. This is the first time we see Christian in the New Testament. We call ourselves Christians. It's actually biblical. It means uh, followers of Christ or Christ ones or those of the Christ party. Here's a, here's a party to have, not a circumcision party, but a Christ party. And this is what the church ought to be, a big party of believers sold out for Jesus Christ going after these things. It became a term that was used in, in a derogatory way against, against believers to, in contempt, in mockery. Like, oh, the Christians, the Christ ones, you know, their little Christ party going on. But it became a badge of honor for the believers. Yeah, you can say whatever you want, but I'm a part of Christ's party. Amen. I follow him. That's what faithfulness is. I don't care what you say or how you tease, whatever, like I wear the badge proudly that I am part of Christ's following. Three solid footsteps of faithfulness that we can really focus on. Here's the fourth and the last. Here's what faithfulness is. Footstep of faithfulness that we need to walk in by the example of the early church. It's being open-handed. Faithfulness is when I continue to be open-handed for the rest of my life. Look at verse 27. In these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Prophets being New Testament prophets, not Old Testament ones. We think that they're all old. They're sometimes new. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit. So God put a message on his heart. There'd be a great big famine all over the world. And you know the difference between a, a true prophet and a false prophet? If it comes true. If it comes true. So this guy was really of God because look what happened. This took place in the days of Claudius. And so A.D. 41 to 54, this came true. So look at what's happened next year. Here's the faithfulness of the people of the early church. So the disciples determined, they hear this news, they, they know it's a God-ordained thing to probably bring them back to the reality of their love in Jesus. And so they hear this thing, they determined every one of them according to their ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. And so we see in this passage another clear example of faithfulness, and the faithfulness hits a little close to home for some of us because we don't like anyone talking to us about this, but especially pastors from the front of a church, but here's where it is. It's faithfulness in our giving of our resources. I'm not trying to make the text say anything that it doesn't say. It says it right here, right? Immediate response of the people is this. Our, our brothers and sisters are hurting and, and I've been given so much and I love them and I love the Lord so much that whatever I have is theirs and so open up the purse strings like here you go. It's not mine anyways, it's God's so take it and use it for the glory of God. Early church really got this truth. They got this, that the reality of what is mine that I think is mine is actually the Lord's. They're faithful in that. We see it over and over in the New Testament. They're faithful in that. This, this whole idea of I'm not hoarding things for my own glory. I'm not hoarding things for my kingdom. Everything I have is actually God's to be used for his kingdom. So deceiving to think that our mortgages have our names on them, but our houses really aren't ours. <laughs> They're God's. Might have my name on my bank account or a joint name with somebody else, but really I should have a joint name with God on that bank account because it's really his that I'm, I'm stewarding for him. 
My car ownership is a little misleading as well. I have my name on it, but it truly belongs to the Lord, and he's so gracious to allow me to drive it to places where I can minister for his glory. See, in the early church, it's the faithfulness to give generously to those who are in need. And notice, it's not the size of the gift that counts. It's the heart of those, lead, those, those whom God is leading. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability. So they're, they're not doing this with like this, this idea to one-up each other and be the biggest giver in the church and get some sort of uh, hero trophy for that. They're just, they're just giving as they see a need. They're like, I have so much, I am going to give. And, and here's why this is in the Bible today. Here's why it's in the message on faithfulness, I believe, because, because you, get, you can preach anything in the church today, it seems, except for anything about money. You're going to have to endure criticism. I could do that. You know what? You're going to have to fight through chaos and change. Okay, God will get me through. Get back to being on your purpose. That's the message I need. That's the message I can take. Hey, what are we being faithful with your giving? Uh, Pastor, you're getting a little too close to what's mine now. You're getting a little too close to my comfort zone, especially in North America, right? Like we have all this stuff because why? Because we work hard so that we can play hard and then we can retire and then we can build our own little thing here and yet God says we work hard so we can be blessed to bless others. That's what God says. If you think I'm saying this because our church is in financial need, it's not. I'm saying this because it's in the text and if you're thinking here that I'm trying to manipulate money out of you, I'm not. Keep your money and go home. Simple as that. We don't need your money. God's blessing us. He's... giving to us more than we could ever need and and fulfilling all the needs of our ministry. But what I'm telling you this for is because it's right here in the text that this is part of our faithfulness to God. It's interesting that the Bible talks about money a lot in the New Testament. Someone said more than heaven or hell. And I believe it talks so much about money in the New Testament because nothing reveals the true reality of our hearts more than where our pocketbook is, where our wallet is. This mentality that it's mine, it's none of anyone else's business, especially the church or God's. The problem is we've got it all mixed up and everything we have is God's. We try and separate our wallet from everything else, but you can't separate your wallet from everything else. You can't separate your wallet from your worship. You can't. You can't separate your wallet from your walk or your wallet from your work. You, you can't separate your wallet from your Christian life. Where do most people keep their wallets? Right there, right? Everywhere you go, your wallet goes with you. I spend my days looking for my wallet. Got a little one. I thought it was going to be handy. I can't find it ever. and So I can't leave the house without my wallet. It's so much a tied to me. My identity is in my wallet, right? My, my health card and my driver's license, my bank cards, and, and I don't go anywhere without my wallet. None of us do. And yet somehow we think we can live the Christian life leaving our wallet behind. It's just not biblical or possible. So God wants to remind us, many of you don't need this reminder, you get it, but some of you might, that, that part of your faithfulness is also faithfulness in your giving. Read this with me, Matthew 6, verses 2 to 4. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us a quick lesson on finances and what it means to be faithful with our giving. It's going to be on the screen. You can just look up here for a second. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they might be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. 
Four quick principles, even though there's one passage when it comes to being faithful with your giving. Number one is this, Jesus expects us to give. Thus, not if you give. What's that word there? Thus, when you give to the needy. It's not just giving to the needy, it's giving to the church. Your mouth spiritually is fed by the church. You give to the church to sustain the church. Thus, when you give, here's the reality. Christian giving is not optional, but it's essential. Jesus expects us to give. Here's number two. Jesus wants you to do it, not for you, but for him. Not for others, ultimately, but for him. He wants you to do it for him. Don't do it as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets that may be praised by others. Do it in secret that you're for your father. Giving is an expression of your love for others, but also it's a reflection of a heart of worship for God and giving to God. Jesus wants you to do it for him. Don't do it because I told you to. Don't do it because someone else told you to. Do it because God's love compels you to want to see others grow in the kingdom of God. Jesus wants you to give humbly, number three. He wants you to humbly give. Not for show or so you can, again, carry this mantle of like the most generous guy in the church and somehow have some clout or this most generous woman in the church have some clout. He wants you to, to, to give, not to draw attention to yourself, but to Jesus Christ. Why do we give? When we give people gifts, what do we do it for? When we give to the church that God's name would be glorified. And the last one is this. You just have to know about giving. This is why God calls us to be faithful with our giving. And God sees and rewards our actions. God honors and rewards faithful and generous givers. It's a footprint of faithfulness that we just have to understand. Jesus talks about it, so we talk about it. Jesus commands it, so we follow him. So much more to say about this. Again, there's like four sermons in each of these points. I'm just trying to stick to the text today and give you the overall. But here's the, here's the summary for this last point. The faithful Christian puts their money where their mouth is. Faithful Christian puts their money where their mouth is. They realize that we can't take it with us anyways. And the best investment we can make is not one that's going to give us like 3% return here on earth. It's one that's going to give us an eternal dividend in heaven. One that's going to impact others for forever and ever in heaven. And this kind of faithfulness results in blessing and fruitfulness in this life. Not this superficial prosperity thing where if I give, you know, God's going to give me even more money. He might. That'd be awesome. Uh, not so you could keep it, so you could bless others. But more of a spiritual fulfillment of look at what I get to do with what God's given me. I get to be a part of his work here and around the world. Four footprints of faithfulness. It's not ultimately about fruitfulness. It's about faithfulness. Early church shows us that right here, and it comes down to this. The reality is there's two types of people in this room. There's two types of Christians in the world. There's the faithful and the fickle. There's the faithful and the fickle. Let me ask you this. Which are you? There's the faithful and the fickle. Those all in, and those waffling with the thought of being all in. I don't know about you, but I'm praying for my own heart that I'm on the faithful side, not the fickle side. I'm praying for our church that we're on the faithful side, not the fickle side. I've watched too many people. It scares me, to be honest. I've watched too many people start strong and fizzle. I went to Bible college with people who started strong, who had many more gifts and abilities than I have, and they're nowhere near Jesus anymore. That scares the tar out of me. I don't want to be fickle. I want to be faithful. I've watched too many churches start strong, and they plan, and there's all the hype and all the excitement. And yes, we're going to do this for God, and five years, ten years later, the church doesn't even exist. Why? Because it starts strong with superficial, emotional, like, woo! And then it's like, well, it takes faithfulness? Oh, my goodness, well, I'm out one by one. I want to be a faithful person. I want you to be faithful people. I want to be a faithful church. I want this to be a, a church that people see as they look at what's happening there. We leave footprints of faithfulness for those that come behind. Pray you do too. 
I just want to hype you up this morning. I want to tell you the reality of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. I have to be honest. I look at these four things and I'm like, man, I want them, but I am so weak. I am so sinful. I am so fickle some days. How can we ever remain true to just these four things? The, whole New, the New Testament is full of calls to faithfulness. How can I ever do it? Here's how we do it. Bottom line comes down to this. We keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Amen. We remind ourselves daily that, man, Jesus was faithful to me. He endured the cross. He took all of my sin and all of my shame. He took it to the cross. He endured faithfully for me. What can he not ask me to do for him to show my love and gratitude for all that he is and all that he's done? And all that he's going to do. How can I not just spend my life for his glory, regardless of what comes at me or what comes uh, after me? How can I not just live a faithful life for the one who gave up everything for my soul, that I might have the hope of Jesus in this life and also the one to come? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Aim for being full of the Holy Spirit in faith. Remember that his hand is big and his hand has you. And you know what? Faithfulness actually isn't a chore. It's a delight and it's a blessing. In Jesus Christ, it's actually where the ultimate life of satisfaction is found in faithfulness to Jesus Christ. I'm praying that we'll all get on this page and go after this together. Let me pray right now. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you even for the chapters that seem like filler chapters that are so full of truth and so filled with lessons of of those who went before us that walked a faithful life. God, my prayer today is simple. Help us be faithful. Oh, God, help us be faithful. Protect us, Lord, from complacency. Protect us from superficial emotionalism. Instead, oh, God, give us such a deep love for Jesus Christ, a deep understanding of the cross and the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we can't help but live our lives truly sold out for your glory. Faithfulness in all ways, in all circumstances, for all of our days. It says in in Matthew chapter 10 that only those who endure till the end get the prize. God, would you find us as individuals, would you find us as a church as being those who endure till Till the very end in faithfulness that we might ultimately receive the prize of, of our heavenly calling in Jesus Christ. God, we're so weak. We're so sinful. We can't do this on our own. So God, help us fix our eyes on Jesus and fill us with your spirit, God, that all the things that we just studied would be a reality in us by your grace and by your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us. May our love for you be reflected back in living lives of faithful footsteps for the glory of God. Amen.